This is Anshu Bahanda on Wellness Curated. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. My mission is to empower you with health and wellness so that you can then go and empower others. So joining me today is Anthony Haynes, one of the most senior nutritionists in the country. He's one of the most experienced registered nutritional therapists in the UK. He's one of the first practitioners to implement the principles of functional medicine. He has been practicing for 29 years Mm, now, 28 of which he's been teaching. He's been teaching graduates for over 25 years now. He's an award-winning nutritionist. He's written two books. Uh, He's a successful award-winning author, and the two books on nutrition are The Insulin Factor and The Food Intolerance Bible. This is one of the many incredible facts I learned about in this chat. It's been documented in the studies, and you may have read this too, that if you have an optimal level of vitamin D, Mm -hmm. you you minimise the chance of hospitalisation by 80%. Welcome to the chat. Mm, pleasure to be here. I'm very happy to answer this question. It's never been a more inti- important time, in my humble opinion, to support one's own immunity naturally. So my first question is something that I will ask everybody. What is wellness to you? Yeah, that's a good question. It's fascinating to know. If I, if I say the following, so wellness and health is not just the absence of disease, but an abundance of well-being on a physical, mental, emotional and societal level. Right. And that's what I would say uh, wellness is. And what's fascinating is that that is the description of health by the World Health Organization um, back in 1948. So it was a, you know, a long, long time ago. I believe that was a date. But effectively, it's setting out what is health. So it's not just simply an absence of, are, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I'm okay. It's actually an abundance of well-being on all those levels. It's not just how, how are you doing? I feel fine. But if in truth, <laughs> I'm feeling brilliantly well and, and, and well on all levels. So it's, it's a very holistic appreciation. There's a lot to it. It's not just, I don't have arthritis or I don't have fatigue or I don't have bloating. That's interesting because not a lot of people would say, oh, I feel amazing. Mm. When you ask them, how do you feel? Very few people would say, oh, I feel amazing. I feel really well. Yeah. So that's very rare that one hears someone say that. And of course, there's a perfunctory greeting, which, uh, which of course, you don't necessarily you want really. You say, how are you? I'm fine. It's a perfunctory greeting. Not many people are actually genuinely asking how someone is. But certainly with friends, when you actually mm-hmm. have that conversation about, oh, you know, how, you know really, how's it going for you? What's going on? And, and it could be in different environments. It, very few people, it's, it's almost like how many people would say they're, they're feeling really well? I mean, I, I haven't heard many people express that. But also, mm-hmm. if, if energy were to be a marker of that. Um, most individuals have some degree of fatigue during the day and, and that again is not ideal uh, having great energy all day and sleeping well and having refreshing sleep is key to well-being and health and I have yeah. met many people in my career in my life in and outside of clinic um, who have an absence of symptoms and signs either that gets me nicely to what I was going to ask you next which is what is it that a nutritionist actually does a nutritionist is designed uh, through their practice and training to identify what imbalances an individual has to correct them in order to achieve the, the health goals of the client. And I would say certainly that's what I've aimed to do. So things have evolved over time, as you can imagine, with 18,500 clients. And tw- I mean, it's thousands yes. and that's about 30,000 appointments that I've had. 
is my aim is to identify this myself, and it's really an mm -hmm. extension of the overview of what a nutritionist does, identify the smallest number of changes in your nutritional intake and lifestyle that can help to bring about the things that you desire most, so your health goals. So that's what I do. So, And it's actually more sophisticated, and I'm aiming to, to be as sophisticated as I can, to identify the smallest number of things versus the greatest number of things to do. So I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when I was younger and less mm -hmm. experienced, I would sometimes throw the Encyclopedia Britannica of Nutrition at clients. And it would become in the form of uh, handwritten papers because it began before computers were really here. And then longer reports about lots and lots of things to do. So first of all, you need to read lots of information. Then you need, a, you need an assistant at home, possibly a chef, possibly um, to get all the food you need, etc. You need an alternative income as well in order to implement. So it needs to be practical, doable, but also it needs to be targeted. So I found that targeted intervention, identifying exactly what people need to do in the with the smallest number of changes to bring about the biggest outcome is what I would hope all nutritionists would aim for. But of course, you do need clinical experience. You do need technical knowledge right. to achieve right. just that. Right. So thank you for that, Anthony. There's a term which has become really fashionable. And you were one of the first in the UK to do that, which is functional mm. medicine. Yes. Can you explain to us exactly what that is? I know. Uh, pathology medicine is what modern medicine is. Modern medicine looks at doing tests and rushing as quickly as possible to a diagnosis of a pathology, which is a construct about having a, a cholesterol level above a certain level or having a certain analyte, etc. Um, nothing to do with signs or symptoms particularly, but signs and symptoms then lead the doctor to say, well, do this test. Yes, mm -hmm. we've got RA factor, rheumatoid arthritis factor, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. So rush the diagnosis in order to implement the protocol of medical intervention to palliate the pathology. Mm -hmm. Functional medicine actually very much works with the client as a partnership with the client in the center, rather than being a recipient of information with no, no actual interaction. So the, the patient, practitioner patient is a partnership where we look to identify long case history, underlying causes, and correct the underlying causes that are leading to the signs and symptoms manifesting. And so it's really addressing the underlying causes. So in this way, it's actually identical to what naturopaths and indeed holistic mm -hmm. nutritionists have been taught ultimately. But the, they, they've coined, they, the Institute of Functional Medicine in particular, has coined the term functional medicine, and they've given this description of it. So really you're looking at the antecedents, right. the triggers, and the mediators, the things that cause it, the things that trigger it, the things that may contribute to it. Antecedents, mediators, and triggers. Look at the underlying causes and correcting them, empowering the individual to make changes for themselves because they intellectually understand that if I do this, this is going to happen, and I'm going to improve mm -hmm. my health, as opposed to take that pill, have that operation, and then sort of do down. this, yeah, yes. yeah, and sort it of out. Which is also what systems like homeopathy or Ayurveda do. Yes, exactly. So, so it's, it's really a modern-day term for an ancient process of appreciation of where someone's health was at. I understand right. from the Chinese perspective, whether this is true or not, I don't know. But um, you understand you paid your doctor when you were well, and you didn't when you were unwell. Um, right. you know, no, notion of supporting health rather than just uh, seeing them when you're um, ill. So it's, um, it's really addressing underlying causes, underlying right. causes. And we get taught as nutritional therapists, and I'm studying this still, and I teach it, sort of the underlying biochemical mechanisms that underpin imbalances so we can identify, correct that. Right. And um, ma many individuals engage in, in, in relatively expensive testing, but the more experience you have, the less tests typically are needed because signs and symptoms tell us what's going on inside the body. Fantastic. Now tell me, why is it that nutrition is so important? Yeah, it's important for, for everything. What's fascinating is that nutrition, it's estimated that the food that we eat, I'm not sure it's the, um, 
the general medical practice, but certainly the United Nations, World Health Organization, so those groups in terms of global health, it's estimated that the food we eat in our lifetime is the single biggest factor that contributes to our well-being or not. Mm-hmm. So, well, but it's, so there's a number one. It's, it's it's up there and out there. What's mm-hmm. interesting is that in the in the mainstream medicine, of course, you you may well understand this that the numbers of hours of training is extremely limited, and maybe three hours that maybe it was taught the wrong thing. And certainly, most doctors I've been involved in teaching, lovely GPs that I've I've, I've met, have um, forgotten or didn't really understand what that was about, and they have no relevance and they have no fluency of understanding of nutritional biochemistry at all. They have no teaching in it, so why would they know? Right. Uh, they're there as gatekeepers for pathology uh, diagnosis and then protocol treatment. That's what mm-hmm. they're there for. Every single cell in your body is made from a nutrient. So that's just to state the obvious. But if you didn't know that, every single cell and mm-hmm. the food that we eat basically has an, um, a, an effect on our gene expression mm-hmm. to one degree or another. So genes are affected by the epigenetics, the exposure of our thoughts, of our lifestyle, of exercise, of sleep. Uh, toxins and so on, but also nutrition. Nutrition has a prime role to play on the genetic expression, so it has an epigenetic effect, effectively. And um, we require nutrients for multiple different purposes. So nutrients are what's actually referred to as complicated words, pleiotropic. One nutrient can have 350 effects in your body. Wow. And they work work in synergy. They work in synergy. So one plus one could equal 10 in terms of the effect. And so we've got we've got 50 essential nutrients, and, and I would put this to to anyone, and I do to my students and the graduates of nutritionists, saying, well, you know, do you know what the 50 essential nutrients are? Do you know where they are in food? Um, mm-hmm. Do you know how much you need? And can you tell if someone's lacking them from a case history assessment and or testing of some kind? Because optimizing nutritional status can have a tremendous impact on every aspect of health. Um, yeah. And it's actually often an imbalance in those things. So you can have an excess of some, but generally it's a, a lack of nourishment. And we know from all the studies conducted in the Western world and in England that, um, that it's extremely rare, extremely rare, in fact, almost impossible for any individual eating any organic diet to consume a level of nutrients that is going to support an individual's health in a powerful way. Preventative, yes. So I'll just, I will actually come to this. So the RDA is the recommended daily allowance of nutrients. Okay. Uh, and that is likened to the current account, if I liken it to a banking system. Okay? So we've got current account. So the RDA keeps us in spending today. What happens if you have an extracurricular expense? Like, oh, uh, etc. So, well, that means you need to dig into your savings account. So that's a higher level of nourishment. So we've got the RDA, which is basically to keep a very well person well for that one day. And there are very few people who have that state of being. And then you need a higher level of nourishment for many, many nutrients. And that's a savings account. If you wanted to protect yourself from DNA damage and then the the expression of a chronic degenerative disease, and that's called NCD, non-communicable diseases, which are actually about 70 to 80 percent of the cost of of the NHS. Mm-hmm. then you actually need a, a pension account, even higher level. So current account, that's not going to serve you very well. Any extra expense, you're going to be in, you're going to be in overdraft and you're going to suffer. So you need a savings account. That's going to protect your organ reserve. And to protect DNA from aging process, you need a pension account. So the levels of nutrients ascend accordingly. Now, I think that's a, it's a pretty easy grip. So if you have vitamin C, for example, you know, if you just have 100 milligrams a day, you, you know, that might just be the current account. Mm-hmm. But really, you need more like a thousand milligrams a day for a savings account. And if you wanted to have further protection, maybe take a thousand or fifteen hundred milligrams in divided doses over the day. And the same applies to all nutrients. And, right. and the level actually the level for each nutrient varies. So the nu- nutrition is vital for every single cell. All all cells have an impact are impacted by nutritional status. So in that sense, you know, I've had the blessing of of seeing remarkable changes in a remarkably mm-hmm. wide array of different conditions. Okay, so. 
I mean, you started uh, the conversation by saying that, you know, nutrition is something everybody should be able to do at home mm -hmm. for relatively less. So tell me what tests do you recommend mm. people go and do every year? So say people who can't yeah. afford to see a nutritionist. There is a definite cost. I understand that. And I, it's a very good question. I think, uh, you know, Vitamin D testing is available on the NHS. And so therefore, I would say vitamin D, but of course, it's one of 50 nutrients, but it is a very important one. And it may be a reflection of overall nutritional status, too. So I think vitamin D, which you can get technically for free at the point of service anyway by the doctor, um, but there are also tests you can pay for, which are relatively inexpensive. I think a mineral screen uh, for mm -hmm. those involved in nutrition. And I've had so many clients who have an imbalance in minerals, even if they're eating a very good diet on mm -hmm. the paper as they may have various imbalances. So a mineral test, which is typically organized privately. Now, otherwise we've got the standard, what's called hematology and biochemistries or, or complete blood count. Um, and those are again, conducted by, by doctors. And there's lots of markers within that that can give an indication of nutritional status. However, the doctor is unlikely to be able to highlight those for you because they don't have the training in understanding why the biochemistry is linked to nutrition. So uh, yeah. it is true to say that, that, that the, I think the finger prick test from um, on the vitamin D is probably a really great one, particularly particularly after winter, because our vitamin D levels goes down every month from about now because the UVB light is not present. Um, so probably vitamin D is a great one. Mineral testing, I think that um, you know there are, there are I mean there are literally fifty thousand tests you could do. I mean literally fifty thousand tests, and each individual person has a different priority need. So. Um, certainly, I, look, I did a review of what tests I'd use myself with my clients. And I don't recommend many tests. I recommend less tests now than I ever have done before, from stool tests to organic acid testing and hair tests even. But I don't recommend those really. And I discovered that there were 24 different lab tests I used in one year um, wow, okay. with, with my clients. So it's a very good question, but a difficult one to actually nail down. But I, did, I would say that if we had the opportunity, I would check your vitamin D. But but because we can't check vitamin A mm. in the same way, vitamin A is a very, very important nutrient for our, for our immune system and our skin as well, for example. So right. you've asked me a question of, of how long is that piece of string? I said, well, it does depend on the individual as to what they most need. But Anthony, if you did say, like you'd recommended, vitamin D, if you can afford it, do a mineral test, yes. do standard hematology, like full blood yes. count. And within those, if there is an aberration, you should be able to, you know, if something alerts you, then you yes. know you need to look into I, it more. I, given the access of all those things, that the mineral test is quite specific. There is a, a, a lab, I, again, I have no affiliation or financial connection with these things I'm talking about. Um, BioLab is a fantastic lab. Uh, you mm -hmm. need a practitioner to go through that. Um, maybe other labs that can access them. Um, mm -hmm. But certainly that's a mineral test. But otherwise, vitamin D, very doctor, the hematology test and biochemistry. But I will also say this, yes, a useful test but to sort of couch it, and it is a very complex thing you've asked ultimately, is that I have met so many clients who have completely normal hematology and biochemistry, but have right. quite distinct imbalances in their health. Oh, interesting. Okay. The tests don't always help you is what you're saying. No, because there are so many and they're, they're yeah. so general, they're not, they're not specifically targeting your own individual needs. Okay. Um, none, none of those tests necessarily, you could have a good level of vitamin D now, but it doesn't indicate, it may not indicate you had a low vitamin D, let's say when you were, when you were pregnant and when you're a mother, when you're breastfeeding. So your bone density actually diminished at that time. You never reach peak bone density as a result. And you could have a degree of osteopenia or osteoporosis, but your mm -hmm. vitamin D status could now be very good. So mm -hmm. that needs a DEXA scan or a bone mineral density test to check your bones. And so it depends what, what age you're at, you know, what's relevant for each individual. Okay, yeah. fantastic. I know that you've been practicing for, for a long time now. Mm. I know you've helped people with different conditions, different ailments. 
What are some of the conditions that you've actually mm. helped people with? Yes, um, it's, good, it's good with this. It's quite, it's quite long and I feel blessed for that too. And uh, I still have the same sense of um, uh, gratitude and appreciation. And I'm not sure the word thrill is there, but, but just but genuine inner pleasure at an individual improving their health. Um, I was presenting yesterday on the subject of Hashimoto's, which is the most common autoimmune thyroid condition. Mm -hmm. I actually I referred to two clients where they completely reversed the Hashimoto's and I've had many, many oh, clients fantastic. reverse autoimmune conditions. So the following conditions have been reversed in my uh, client base. So my clients have followed the recommendations and they have done this for themselves. I've been the director of the program. So mm -hmm. I don't cure anyone, never use the word cure. I'm looking to support the individual and allow the body to do what it will to heal itself. Um, I've had individuals uh, resolve rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis oh completely, God. and with a brain scan showing the brain lesions are gone. Um, so RA, MS, sarcoidosis, Hashimoto's, um, greatly improved lupus, which is a really challenging multi-autoimmune uh, condition, psoriasis completely resolved, eczema, wow. migraines, headaches, IBS, IBD, inflammatory colitis, uh, infertility has been resolved by them, mm. and, uh, ladies, and, ladies and gents being, being fertile again. So um, there's actually, I'm trying to think, there's, there's skin conditions, gut conditions, autoimmune conditions. Uh, again, never making any claims. I'm not looking to have any guarantee, but I've had clients uh, completely resolve or greatly diminish imbalances. I saw one child, just as a slight tangent, who had a genetically uh, a very odd situation that they estimated was only affecting one in 30 million people. So it's extraordinary. Oh For, the father had, uh, was fortunate to be blessed with, with being very well off. And he took his son to see various geneticists around the world in Boston, uh, Paris, London, mm -hmm. and he spent a fortune on air, airplane flights, let alone consultancy fees, and had basically a description of his son's state on a genetic level, uh, but nothing changed his health. So we did amino acid testing with the urine of this, this, this two-year-old kid, uh -huh. um, and we did, a, a, again, a mineral test uh, through the urine. We just collected the urine. We didn't want more blood tests. And we yeah. had rec basically, I simply looked to change his nutritional status and had the best improvement in, in, the, in, in the health ever witnessed, uh, that not achieved by the brilliant professors of genetics, but they weren't oh, there God. to help correct it. They said, this is where it's going to be. This is the trajectory. This is what's going to happen to your son. But we changed the nutrition, and, and things changed immediately. He was two weeks uh, a month hospitalized, every month, two weeks in. And the father actually contributed to the hospital and actually uh, basically bought a, a bedroom for himself. Um, it was very generous. But they didn't make us. But when after nutrition, he was there two days a month. So even with the most extreme sort of rare conditions, there's still things you could do about optimizing nourishment, allowing the body to do what it can do. Um, but I mean, some of the most satisfying ones has been the MS and the, and the crushing migraines for one 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 girl. Um, and having those I have obviously... known of MS ever being cured yeah, so, yeah. or sorted. Well, again, so that's not, amazing. It's all I'm saying is they don't have any signs of it, and they have no blood tests or. Again, when the brain scan showed eight lesions and then the lesions were gone. Now, again, that individual followed the program and we're still in contact with that person. She's a practitioner now. So it's been best. And other, other clients improve, but don't get all that way. So there's this, and, and some clients, if, depending on when I see them, don't make much improvement at all, depending on where they're at. But the possibility for change, because what we did was we looked at the underlying causes, Anshu, and we corrected them. So I, I, we identified the underlying causes within that individual with MS and we look to correct them. So it's completely complementary. It's not it's wow. not contravening or contradicting yeah. any medical treatment they're receiving when they're told you can't do anything. This is the trajectory of your condition. Incredible. And this is the same with almost all autoimmune conditions. So um, I've had other clients with MS who have not done so well at all. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been emotionally quite tough and it is tough when 
individuals don't improve so much so there's something else to look for we've got to turn over every stone and have a look underneath mm -hmm. and see what's what and i would recommend testing for those people so that individual they had a bacterial infection that was inside their cells right and we we identified it with a german test because the test didn't exist in L london in england so they had a positive test for this bacteria which has been long associated with ms in the literature and mm -hmm. we we basically killed it with natural remedies so natural antibacterials and we reduced inflammation and we supported the growth of the myelin sheath and wow. we helped to improve the gut microbiome and we took away gluten and dairy because they were aggravating things. So just to give you a quick synopsis, there's mm. a lot going on, but we got rid of the bug. It took, it took nine months to get rid of the bug. And this I think one, you've helped with diabetes as well. Yeah. And the first book that I wrote in 2004 was The Insulin Factor. So obviously insulin, diabetes, but, but you can have pre-diabetes and diabetes. And, and um, I would say it, I used to think it was more simple than it probably is but um i i haven't met a case of someone with a diabetic state where we have not improved their blood glucose wow. levels and then that's that's easily measurable because you can do finger book testing or you've got monitoring process where you can actually see the feedback of what you're doing so in that sense it's a very lovely um condition to actually monitor because it's so easy to monitor you get right. the feedback of what you're implementing is it is it helping me and then that gives more confidence to the person to continue to engage in something or they can say, look, Anthony, this isn't working. My blood sugar's yeah. gone up. Um, and then we can change the program accordingly. This is Anshu Bahanda. You can find our podcast, Wellness Curated, on Apple, Spotify, and a host of other channels. The underlying causes of, of, of diabetes um, may not always be straightforward. And I will take the liberty, if I may, just to bend your ear on one thing with diabetes, what's fascinating is to see the influence of certain toxins in the environment promoting diabetes. And I'm very interesting. So toxicity of a certain kind, particularly arsenic. Okay. Just to share that with you. So it's, it's, it's in the literature. Any one of you can then do a PubMed search or go onto the search engine and look at arsenic and diabetes and the studies will come up. And arsenic is basically in the air from, from some, some factory or other. It, it then comes down the rainfall and it gets absorbed by rice in particular, oh. especially when the country doesn't have the Environmental Protection Agency um, you know, with, with teeth, as it were, to actually do a good job. And so you eat rice on a regular basis and you in, increase your ingestion. Of course, rice is a carbohydrate, but you're ingesting arsenic. And in one, in one period of time, all the rice products were assessed for arsenic and there wasn't one that didn't have it so it's a question and actually white basmati rice may actually be more useful and have less arsenic than the brown rice which we're taught to which we're taught to eat because it's, yes. it's in the husk the arsenic's more in the outer uh. husk so so it's just it's just a story that toxicity sort of like dash i was eating you know and, and rice of course is not particularly nutritious as is no grain is nutritious particularly but uh, a lot of people eat rice, especially obviously the Chinese and the Asian. And in, if you avoid gluten, you'd be having rice instead. So just to share with you that on that subject is there are, there are hidden, hidden things in the environment that can play a significant role in health. And then you might need more. As I was saying, you've got the current account, the savings account, pension account. You might actually need this level just to, just to attain better health to help the detoxification processes, let alone focusing on just blood sugar management with a glycemic index controlled diet. Oh, fantastic. That sounds... And tell me, Anthony... How do you know what factors are affecting a particular person? So, so say we so, take the diabetic, diabetes mm. and 
how did you work it out that there actually is the the arsenic in the rice was it using mm. kinesiology with the individual yes yes and you know i i, I do practice of muscle testing i'm not a fully qualified kinesiologist to make that clear but i'm a big fan of it and i learned it specifically from on one to one teaching in order that i can ascertain whether that was good or bad for somebody uh, like like a supplement or a food for example so i intellectually i i study and i teach and, and without the teaching i wouldn't learn so much so i i was aware that i need to improve my technical knowledge and of course it's it when i see if i see a client i've got 500 pieces of information about their health um okay. i read all the questionnaires in advance so it's 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 clinical case history with my experience of of some of those clients of 18500 have been diabetics in fact quite a number i've got technical knowledge and then i would um i, I would certainly use a sort of intuitive kinesiology to help to to pinpoint more specifically what might be a priority for that person as okay. opposed to just a glycemic load um and in this instance toxicity came up so then we did a urine challenge test and arsenic was off the end of the scale ah i see in that in the individual so in fact we i used testing to confirm a theory and if you like a, a strong hunch i think most most practitioners use an intuitive sense whether they know it or not but i'm using mine deliberately um as a as a tool to help me find things out and i've been i've been training that particular muscle for 21 years right right and tell me what are some of the tips that you can give people in the current climate to help them with immunity yeah for the question of course vitamin d we come to that so vitamin mm-hmm. d status is very very important and it's remarkable how many people have a low level some people need might mm-hmm. need to get quite a high level of vitamin d just to just to get a normal range in in their blood test so it's something that people need different amounts and so dark skin folk won't convert the sunlight to vitamin D so much as pale skin like myself um and so those with uh, whether indian or african because the darker the skin you've got the more vitamin D you'll need some right. individuals um don't have a gallbladder it's the 50,000 um, cholecystectomy operations a year so mm-hmm. having having a difficulty with digesting fat soluble vitamins and minerals so it's vitamins a d e and k um right. that might pose an issue as well vitamin so if so it's really digestion and absorption type issue with fat soluble nutrients that could be a factor so vitamin d huge important um i would say vitamin c okay. um and uh, vitamin c for covid is a website i'd recommend if people are interested go and have a look at the uh, there's there's basically prospective and studies and reviews of vitamin c particularly with regard to the, to the covid-19 which is very interesting indeed so vitamin c huge important to support the immune system against all bugs viruses and bacteria and then mm-hmm. the zinc so zinc plays a very important role for immunity in fact it's 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 those three nutrients are probably the most important and whilst every nutrient works in synergy and whilst it's very important as a tenet of modern nutrition to appreciate the 50 essential nutrients those three nutrients alone as takeaway messages for our audience today um it's certainly going to support your immune system and just to give you one stat and I appreciate we're not talking about specifically about covid-19 it's it's been documented in studies and you may have read this too that if you have an optimal level of vitamin d Mm-hmm. you you minimize the chance of hospitalization by 80%. Oh wow. Okay. So it's quite, quite profound and this, this is from you know peer reviewed PhD scientists and has been well documented 80%. 80%. 80%. Wow. Yeah. Equally vitamin C uh, so if you combine vitamin C and vitamin D and, and, and zinc the synergy between them and the the, the the power of prevention for any condition for any you know cold flu etc mm-hmm. etc et hugely hugely relevant. So quite apart from covid-19 um SARS-CoV-2 um those three nutrients uh, have a very very profound benefit on immunity fantastic and tell me there is another concept which everyone is going crazy about which i'm sure you've heard about a lot is intermittent fasting yes what is your it's, view on that yeah 
IF, intermittent fasting, basically reflects that you're leaving a chunk of time in the day, a number of hours where you're not eating, and you've got a, a time-restricted window, so you're eating in a certain number of hours. And so mm -hmm. I would say that most people have an intermittent fasting overnight, and they might have 12-hour gap anyway between dinner and breakfast. But typically, intermittent fasting typically starts about 16-hour gap, so it's 16 hyphen, sorry, 16 colon 8. Mm -hmm. So it's 8 hours in which you eat, you eat and 16 yes. hours in which you don't. And um, it's, it's sort of like it's, oh, it's good for everyone, especially if you're overweight and it'll help you lose weight and, and so on. And we, we know that animal studies do show that uh, certainly in, in rat studies, it's, we found intermittent fasting was shown to be a significant factor because all the rats ate the same food. They even eat the mm -hmm. same amount of food, even if it was oh, junk wow. food, and they were still better off because of when they ate it rather than what they ate. So very interesting. It's not for everyone. If, imagine if you could find something that's good for every human being. Well, water, yeah, mm -hmm. oxygen, yeah, mm -hmm. with you. Um, adequate protein, yeah, these yeah. are essential nutrients, no doubt about it. But intermittent fasting is not appropriate for a number of, of people. If you have subclinical or primary hypothyroidism, you don't make enough energy um, in your body. And effectively, okay. you, you'd end up being a cruel torture because you'd be, you'd be so tired, you wouldn't be able to nourish your system. And if you eat less calories and your, uh, your metabolism is slow, that then you have a set of uncertainty, what's going on, uncertainty. Right, right. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to slow my metabolism down because I have an uncertain future. I'm not sure my next, I'm going to slow down metabolism because I haven't got enough energy. I, I'm, so it actually, there's like this adaptive response. So hypothyroidism, hypoadrenalism, we have insufficiency of producing cortisol. So long-term stress on the adrenals and thyroid. And then there are other instances too, for blood sugar fragility if, uh, that, that would mean that it's not appropriate for everyone. So I would say, I would, for whatever you do, is I would start gently. So if it's 12 hours currently, well, go to 13 hours. Okay. We'll go to 14 hours. So do experiment, sure. Then go maybe go to 14 and just see how you feel. But if, if the headaches don't resolve, if your fatigue doesn't resolve and your productivity and mental performance goes down, then I have to question whether it would be a very good thing. Um, yeah. I think I think seeking the help of somebody. But I would say in my, in my humble opinion, because it is just my opinion, uh, based on my experience, I would say that intermittent fasting across the board is probably very appropriate for about 35% of the population. Oh, wow. It's probably okay for 30% and probably not okay at all for the rest. Okay, so you're saying almost 35% of the world's population should not be doing intermittent fasting. Yes, and there'll be, there'll be reasons for that. And, and okay. so that's when people say, well, I tried that and I felt awful. Um, or I tried that, I lost weight, but, but I felt awful. So you might be able to lose weight, but actually it, there's something not, not working right. So it can actually exacerbate some problems too. So I would say common sense definitely mm -hmm. needs to be applied. Do you have any advice for our followers? Yeah, I think um, just overall. So we've got nutrition and we've got lifestyle. Um, I, I say probably just one lifestyle thing is uh, go to bed on time and make sure you have adequate sleep. I mean, sleep's such an important factor. And we look at the statistics, it's, they say 20% 20 20 of people have got chronic insomnia issues, but a further 50% may have some sleep disruption at any given time. Yes. So it's such an important thing. In terms of nourishment, I would, I would certainly would say, um, I would say the following. I would say I would eat two or three meals a day, three meals a day, and no snacks. The reason is whenever you eat, you stimulate insulin. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to have balanced blood sugar, balanced energy. And I would say you, you compartmentalize your food intake to three occasions and ideally leave five hours in between each between. meal. That way you improve your body's metabolism of burning fat which might be attractive for some. But it's very sure. important for energy energy balance. So three meals a day, mm -hmm. five-hour gap. And I would say for the first meal, don't have any carbohydrate, have protein and fat. So that, I guess, means eggs, avocado, mm -hmm. uh, possibly means you know fish or chicken or something if you're, mm -hmm. if you're omnivore, uh, more difficult if you're vegetarian. If you're vegetarian, I certainly would recommend a consideration of a protein powder, for example, to, to achieve the protein. Protein acts like a coal in the mm -hmm. fireplace, 
Right. So coal in the fire keeps the fire burning at a steady pace. Whereas if you put carbohydrates in, it's a bit like putting in some cardboard or something as kindling. It burns up and then, then, it, then it goes. So the fire place analogy is a very good one to compare things with food. So protein is a coal sort of keeps the fire burning steadily and the heat uh, logs would be comp complex carbohydrates and refined carbohydrates such as breakfast cereals, which I wouldn't consider fit for human consumption, uh, as the balsa wood or the kindling, which means you're going to be hungry later. Um, so I think the protein at breakfast, three meals a day, five hour gap in between, um, and then eat whole fresh food and avoid refined food. So I've given four nutritional recommendations there. Okay, okay. So Anthony, I'm going to ask you two very quick questions. One of them is, can you can thyroid be treated without medication? Yes, and um, now, yes, it can. And in fact, during the first lockdown, I dedicated myself to creating some videos on that, and they're, they're for free. So it's um, it's haneshealthmanuals.com. Now, the website does need some attention, and I, I, the Latin in there is, is, is meant to be filled with English, but so apologies for that. But you can access the, the free videos I, I presented on the thyroid, and you can indeed. In fact, I've had many, many clients. In fact, I take it on as an absolute challenge. Uh, except if someone has got a gross primary hypothyroid set, of course you need to see your doctor, of course you need to have those tests, mm -hmm. but there's a lot going on to subclinically, which is in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the realm of functional medicine where you can improve your thyroid hormone function. Uh, and I have to say that I, I literally cannot remember a single case where that hasn't improved to some degree. And mostly it puts the person back in charge of their health. Mm -hmm. And yes, levothyroxine can be very, very, very good as a drug. It's a hormone replacement. It can be very, very good, but it, it so often doesn't work because the T4, which is levothyroxine, is the inactive thyroid hormone. And you need right. it to be converted to the T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. And that can be achieved with nutritional means, reduce inflammation, balance blood sugar, and provide the thyroid hormone and the enzymes to convert the T4 to T3 appropriately. So an awful lot can be done with nutrition. Absolutely. Fantastic. Someone was asking mm. about arsenic in homeopathy. So yes, that could be a remedy. Certainly homeopathic. I'm a, listen, I'm not a homeopath, but I'm a fan of, of acupuncture of all types of streams of complementary medicine. It's just a question of what's appropriate for what person. But certainly if that were the case, then the arsenicum um, or Senescum albus, uh, the, the homeopathic remedy, could, mm -hmm. could certainly be absolutely part of the, part of the process. Part of the uh, treatment, to support that. Yes. The, yes, exactly, yeah. And then the last question I'm going to ask mm. you, how much protein for people with cholesterol? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one of my favorite subjects, protein, and, and cholesterol, of course, is overblown as, an, as a risk issue because total cholesterol doesn't really mean much. And the reason why cholesterol is actually a bad thing for us to have too high a level of is because it's the oxidation of the LDL cholesterol, which is often a derived calculated figure rather than actually assessed in a fat test. They say, well, we've got that much and that much, so therefore you must have this much LDL. The low-density lipoproteins is the inverted commas bad cholesterol. But it's only really bad if it's been oxidized. So it's like they have free radicals. And it's oxidized LDL that is pro-atherogenic. And so inflammation is the bane of all things. And if you've got too much inflammation, too much stress, you can have raised cholesterol. If you have low thyroid, you can have raised cholesterol. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first thing I think about with someone with high cholesterol is, do you have a subclinically low or, or more profoundly low level of thyroid hormones? So protein and cholesterol, not, not, there's not a huge connection, but if you have protein and you balance your blood sugar, it can often stabilize your blood sugar, stabilize insulin, mm -hmm. the most profoundly inflammatory hormone in the body, mm -hmm. in excess, but we need it. We need, it's essential. Without it, we we die and so diabetics uh, type one they need you know insulin so protein stabilizes blood sugar and can help to lower cholesterol and how much protein well to be honest most people who who are not eating enough protein might need 20 to 25 grams of high biological value protein which is equivalent to basically two scoops of protein powder 
three eggs at one time. Well, one egg contains about six or seven grams of protein. It also contains useful fat. So I'm not saying everyone should eat eggs all the time. I'm giving an example. So it'd be a fillet of salmon, it'd be a breast of chicken uh, to get the 20 grams of protein. Um, right. mo most people don't need enough protein unless it's rather obvious that they are. I mean, what I'm saying is you, we need protein. It comes from the Greek word protos, meaning first. It's the first most important nutrient. And, and I meet a lot of clients who aren't eating enough protein, particularly if they're not having protein for breakfast. It is quite difficult to get too much protein. Uh, by definition, it's very difficult to get too much protein, and most people are having too little. Protein is really important. It is, tends, tends to be the most expensive of the macronutrients compared to carbohydrates, fat, and protein. Protein is the most expensive. Right. Yes. So you buy fish, chicken, especially if you're buying organic, it's going to cost more than it would be if you bought beans and vegetables, etc. It wouldn't be quite so costly. But we need adequate protein, and the more stress and duress your life is, is under in, then the more protein you'll need typically. And an excess protein has not been shown to hurt the kidneys, even though there are some rumors that it did, but there's some studies have been carried out with very high protein intake for a year. And they did blood tests and urine tests on a relatively young cohort of individuals. And there were no imbalances whatsoever after one year of what, what we might consider very high protein intake. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. That was such mm. an enlightening talk. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the Wellness Curated podcast. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family about it. And here's to you leading your best life. Mm -hmm.